I invite you to turn in your copy of the New Testament to Paul's epistle or his letter to the Philippians. We know it as the book of Philippians. Paul wrote this letter during his first Roman imprisonment after he visited Philippi on his second and third missionary journeys. By way of introduction this morning to our study and our series, this timeline gives you some perspective on when this letter falls in the chronology of Paul's life and ministry. I think that the best scholarship pushes the writing of Philippians toward the latter end of the range, perhaps 61 or 62 AD. But after his first and second uh, and third missionary journeys, Paul writes back to the, to the believers in the city of Philippi. And, and Paul wrote this letter as a thank you note for the Philippians' financial support during his time of need. However, as we'll discover here this morning, he frames and explains his gratitude in this way. The reason that Paul is thankful for them in chapter one, verse three, and the, the reason that he prayed for them with joy, chapter one, verse four, the reason that he had them in his heart, chapter one, verse seven, is because of their fellowship in the gospel, chapter one, verse number five. Look at it with me in your copy of the scripture. Philippians chapter one, verse number one, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, the episkopos and the diakonos. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. For Paul, it was all about the gospel. And today we make great efforts to define and defend the precision of the gospel message. We define the precision of the gospel as Paul declared it to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, I declare to you the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And the good news of salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and the work of Christ alone, nothing more, nothing less. We define the precision of the gospel. We also defend the precision of the gospel message of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints lest we turn aside after a different gospel as those in the churches of Galatia did. The precision of the gospel message is important and this is what I've written for you there at the top of your notes. However, the primacy of the gospel message is also important. And for Paul, the gospel was at the center of his mind and mission. We'll find that this morning in these verses from Philippians chapter one, verses one through 26. I prepared a message titled, The Primacy of the Gospel. Let me pause for prayer and then we'll study the scripture together. God in heaven, it is our public confession that we would rather have Jesus than anything. But Lord, we're prone to wander and our hearts often chase after other lesser things. God, we pray that you'd forgive us for that and by your grace, draw us back to yourself and give us attention for and affection for Jesus Christ. God, this morning we're grateful for the gospel and we define it and we defend its precision with, with vigor, but God, also may it be primary in our lives. I pray that you would challenge us with the writing of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Borrowing from Bible commentator D.A. Carson, I challenge us from Philippians 1 in these ways. Number one in your notes, put the fellowship of the gospel at the center of your relationships with believers. Put the fellowship of the gospel at the center of your relationship with believers. And Paul thanked the Philippians in verse number five for their fellowship in the gospel. Now when we read the word fellowship in verse number five there, we think of the good times spent with friends. We think of visiting in the foyer after the service and then going to lunch together with our friends. But in this case, the notion of fellowship is greater than that. The word fellowship in verse number five is the same root word translated partakers at the end of verse number seven, if you can find it there. Partakers at the end of verse seven. It's the word koinonia, it means to share something in common. And in the first century, it had commercial overtones, this fellowship or this koinonia or this partaking together. And and allow me to illustrate it in this way. If you and I wanted to start a business venture together, let's say that we were to begin a a lemonade stand business together. We always begin small. And so we'll begin with a lemonade stand. We'd partner together to accomplish a shared vision that is owning and operating a lemonade stand business together. You might build the stand and I might find the Dixie cups. You might get the powdered uh, mix and I would run for water. You might make a sign, lemonade, five cents, or with inflation today, lemonade, five dollars, right? <laughs> but I would keep the money box. And that is the word koinonia. That is the fellowship or the partnership because of what we share in common. And in the New Testament, this idea is always attached to financial matters. When the Macedonian believers sent money to the poor Christians in Jerusalem, the Bible says that they were entering into fellowship with them in Romans 15, verses 26 and 27. So for our fledgling business, the the lemonade stand, You and I share a vision and we share the financial sacrifice to get our company up on its feet and we are entering into fellowship or partnership because of that common cause. And here at the the introduction to this letter, Paul celebrates the Philippian believers' partnership with him from the first day until now, verse number five, from the first day until now, from the beginning. Until now, the Philippians had persevered in their support for Paul. They had shared his vision for the gospel ministry. Quickly, turn the page to chapter four. Chapter four, verse number 15. Chapter four, verse 15, he says, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, the first day, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You were my only partners in gospel ministry, verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Back to chapter one. Because of their fellowship in the gospel, their partnership in the enterprise of gospel ministry from the first day until now, Paul thanked God upon every remembrance of them, verse number three. Paul prayed for them with joy, verse number four. And Paul had them in his heart, verse number seven. 
You see, the fellowship of the gospel was at the center of his relationships with them. He doesn't mention the time that he ate a Mediterranean meal together with them. He doesn't mention the times that they watched the game in the arena together. Both things which we may do with one another today, eat a meal, watch a game perhaps, there's nothing wrong with that. But what was the bond that held them together? What was at the center of their relationship? It was their passion for and their partnership in the gospel ministry. And I would charge us to do the very same. Put the fellowship of the gospel at the center of your relationships with one another in this place. Here's my application to us as a church. Some may attend Fourth Baptist Church uh, because it's convenient. You live in the Plymouth area. It's a short drive. It's convenient for you to be here. Others may attend this church uh, because of a connection. Maybe your family has always been part of this church. It's assumed that you will be as well. It's a good place to to connect with your your family or your, your friends. Others attend this church because of conviction. This church shares your position in the scriptures and your philosophy of life and ministry. All of that is well and good, and no matter your reason for being here, you are here nonetheless. And as you are here, I would invite you to be part of the fellowship. Don't think social network, but think partnership in the gospel ministry. We partner together in the gospel and it becomes the center of our relationships with one another. You see, we might, in fact, not even like each other otherwise. But because of the gospel, we're partnered together and that changes everything. And Paul begins this letter with this gratitude for the Philippians' partnership. And then in verse nine, he explains his prayer for them. Verse number nine, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Number two, put your priorities, the priorities of the gospel, at the center of your prayer life. Put the priorities of the gospel at the center of your prayer life. And and Paul says, When you pray, pray for these things, pray in these ways. And perhaps we err in that we pray for many things, but we miss the most important things. We pray, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Help us to be safe. Be with the missionaries wherever they are. Bless mom and dad, amen. But here are the elements of of Paul's prayer for the Philippians. First, that love may abound more and more. And Paul doesn't give us the object of that love. He he doesn't say it is to be love for God. He doesn't say it's to be love for one another. Uh, In in this case, he leaves the object open without restriction. And I believe it's because the object can be both. And I would submit that loving, growing in love for God will be reflected in growing in love for one another. And he prays that love may abound among God's people. He prays that knowledge may increase, secondly, He's not speaking of academic learning. I've attempted some of that. I've learned the truth of Ecclesiastes 12, 12. Much study is wearisome to the flesh. And at some point, there's only so much that you can learn or know. But Paul has in mind the knowledge of God. That knowledge of God may increase. In fact, in all 15 occurrences 
of this word, epigenosis, that Paul uses in his letters in the New Testament. In all 15 occurrences, he uses this word to refer to the knowledge of God and Christ. And so it's very clear here that he's speaking of knowledge of, of God's words and his works and his ways and his worth and, and the wonder of God, to know God. Now, memorization of scripture is profitable and learning Bible content is valuable, but intimately and ultimately knowing God is supreme. That knowledge of God may increase. J.I. Packer wrote a book titled Knowing God and in it, he quotes Charles Spurgeon. It's a favorite quote of mine uh, from Spurgeon. He says, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom we call our Father. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Better than that, the apostle Paul said, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. It's the same word there, epigenosis. How searchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And even in this very same letter in chapter three, verse number 10, Paul wrote that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship or the partnership, the koinonia of his sufferings being conformable to his death. Lord, may the knowledge of God abound among God's people in this place. Third, that discernment may deepen. That discernment may deepen. The end of verse number nine there. And Paul doesn't want the Philippians to be satisfied with mediocrity. He, he cannot accept the status quo in the Christian life. He wants to move on, become more discerning, renewing the, the mind so that one can prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God, doing what is best or excellent so that when Christ returns, we will not be embarrassed or ashamed at his coming, that we will not be disappointed. Lord, may discernment deepen among God's people in this place. And so the Apostle Paul prays in these ways, with these priorities for the Philippians. Application to us at Fourth Baptist Church, do you know how I most often pray for our church? If you were to be a fly in the wall of my prayer closet, as it were, and you were to eavesdrop on my prayer for Fourth Baptist Church, uh, these are the things on my prayer list. I pray for the physical needs of members who are sick and suffering, always. I pray for the spiritual needs of members who are struggling, most often private or hidden. I pray for our need of another pastor to lead us and shepherd us in worship. I pray for financial pr provision for our, our church and our school and our seminary and, and the radio station. I pray for new people to come and join us. That's all good, right? That's a good prayer for a pastor to pray for a church, but I ought to be praying in these ways as well. I ought to be praying that love may abound. I ought to pray that knowledge of God may increase. I ought to pray that discernment would deepen. 
That's how Paul prayed for the Philippians. And, And these priorities of the gospel were the center of his prayer life. I think we should do the same. Verse number 12, it it begins a new pericope or a new section already here in this this letter. Yet I want to continue tracing the same theme of, of the gospel a bit further. There's the fellowship of the gospel, the center of his relationships. There are the priorities of the gospel, the center of his prayer life. But, but look now at verse number 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of what? The gospel. The gospel ministry here. And as you can imagine, Paul's critics are complaining that Paul had foolishly allowed himself to, to be arrested. You see, it was back in Acts 26 that Paul was, was offered a chance to be tried in Jerusalem for his preaching, but he refused And he asked to be tried by Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. However, Festus thought Paul was insane. Agrippa was sure that Paul was crazy as well. In fact, in Acts 26, verse 32, Agrippa says to Festus of Paul, Agrippa says to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. You see, Paul made a strategic and a tactical mistake by appealing to Caesar to be tried by Caesar. And so consequently, people thought that Paul's imprisonment in Rome was actually jeopardizing the cause of Christianity. But not so, Paul says in verse 12. He says, the gospel has advanced because of these hard circumstances. And so I would tell you, number three, put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations. Put the advance of the gospel at the center of your your aspirations. How did the gospel advance in this case? Verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Letter A, the palace guard heard the gospel circulated. Now, at full strength, the palace guard or the the Praetorian guard numbered close to 9,000. So it's it's not probable that 9,000 soldiers actually cycled through Paul's cell in Rome to personally hear his gospel witness. But it is very probable, Paul claims, that his testimony was circulated outside his cell very quickly among the guards. You see, Paul was not a normal prisoner. And so stories about him probably spread pretty fast. It's okay, Paul says, because 9,000 soldiers have heard of Jesus Christ. And the Philippians would appreciate that because some years earlier, remember it was a guard, a Philippian jailer. Remember this in Acts chapter 16, who asked, what shall I do to be saved? And Paul replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And there in Acts chapter 16, the beginning of the the church in Philippi included a prison guard, a Philippian jailer. And now Paul is saying, it's okay that I'm in Rome, imprisoned, because all of those guards have also heard the gospel. Look at verse number 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so first, the palace guard heard the gospel circulated, but secondly, the believers spoke the gospel with confidence because of Paul's imprisonment. 
It was in the 1950s when five Bible college graduates and their wives went to the jungles of Ecuador to reach the Aka Indians. And many of you know this story. There were five men and their wives, the, the men Jim Elliott, Roger Udarian, Nate Saint, Peter Fleming, and Ed McCauley were then killed by natives on the beach of a small river, martyred while trying to bring the gospel to an unreached people group. But not only was that tribe ultimately eventually reached with the gospel, but in the following years, many others inspired by their story surrendered to missionary service. Countless men and women surrendered to missionary service, generating the, the missionary movements of this last century. Which by the way, those very same missionaries have been are now returning home from the field and there's few to replace them. But because of the martyrdom of those missionaries, there was boldness about, among Christians to, to be a witness for Christ and to go as missionaries themselves. Here there is a boldness among believers because of Paul's imprisonment. And for Paul, the advance of the gospel was at the center of his aspirations. I don't care if I'm in jail or out of jail. It doesn't matter if I'm in Jerusalem or Rome. Do you understand what's happened? The gospel has advanced. So what's the engine that, that drives us this morning? Maybe money or promotion or attention or achievement or pleasure. What aspiration do you have? Are your life aspirations for gospel advance? Because of it, the, the gospel was circulated and the believers spoke with confidence. And I would charge you to put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations. But then finally, number four, put the converts of the gospel at the center of your self-denial. Put the converts of the gospel at the center of your self-denial, beginning with potential converts. Potential converts. Letter A there. Look at verses 15 and, and following. Paul acknowledged that Christ was being preached for different reasons. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Now, be careful not to misunderstand this. Paul would have never tolerated the preaching of a different Christ, of another gospel. He rebuked the Galatians for that. However, it, it seems that he could rejoice in the preaching of Christ from those whose motives were impure, even from those whose motives were to harm him. So, so let me explain this. In verses 15 and 16, Paul is probably referring to those behind the accusations of verse number 12. It appears that there were those who preached in this way. How sad it is that, that a great man like Paul was arrested and that his gospel opportunities were wasted because he's so inflexible. Poor Paul, after all, look at me. I'm still 
I'm, I'm still free to preach. I've managed to remain at large. My ministry is being blessed. I'm a best-selling author. Look at the crowds I've drawn. Poor Paul, what a waste. He's in prison. And doubtless, Paul would have been wounded and hurt by those things. However, in verse 18, he says, in this I will rejoice. I rejoice. Paul didn't care about himself. He cared about the potential converts of the gospel. It's okay, if there are those that are out there preaching the gospel, then then I'll rejoice in that, even if they throw me under the bus. Because it's not about me. It's about the gospel. What are you willing to give up for the sake of a potential convert? What self-denial would you be willing to exercise for the sake of a potential convert? What would you be willing to take on for the sake of a potential convert? What are you willing to suffer or spend or give to see the gospel go to those who are not saved? Lord, it's not about me. It doesn't matter about me, but it matters that the gospel's preached. Verse number 19, for I know that this will turn out for, the, for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always so now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain but if I live on in the flesh this will mean fruit from my labor that's good yet what I shall choose I cannot tell for I am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart and to be with Christ which is far better nevertheless to remain in the flesh is more needful for you And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So it's not just the potential converts of the gospel that were at the center of Paul's self-denial, it's also the progressing converts of the gospel. And from prison, Paul introduced this hypothetical situation to die and to be with Christ is far better. I have often talked with those who are hospitalized or or elderly who want to go home to be with their Lord. Can you blame them? Trade a hospital bed for streets of gold? Of course that's far better. After a lifetime on this earth to, to finally graduate to glory, that is far better. But to remain on this old earth in this old flesh was more needful for the converts, for the believers at Philippi and everywhere else. And he was willing to deny himself for the progress of their joy and faith. Paul's deepest hopes for his immediate future were not the bliss of heaven, but were for the betterment of them, for his ministry among them, for the progress of the people of God. It was some 150 years ago when an aging Christian said to missionary John G. Patton, um, who was going to the South Sea Islands, they, they said to him, uh, Patton, you will be eaten by cannibals. Uh, he was warned. But Patton replied to his friend, Mr. Dick Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own body is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus. It will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. In the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. It doesn't matter 
if you live fat and happy, dying or eaten by worms, or if you serve the Lord for the advance of the gospel, for the sake of converts and you're eaten by cannibals, can you deny yourself for the sake of converts of the gospel? Folks, like Paul and the Philippian believers, may the gospel be at the center of our minds and our mission as believers in Jesus Christ and as the Fourth Baptist Church. Let me pray. God in heaven, I thank you for your servant Paul and Timothy. I thank you for the church in Philippi. God, I thank you for the priorities that they had, the primacy of the gospel. Lord, forgive us for being attracted to so many other things, distracted by so many other things of this life that are, are temporary. God, I pray that you would keep us fixed upon the cross of Jesus Christ, that we might be passionate about the gospel. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.